Hey, security peeps, we are back with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity, and this is the Leadership Series 2.0. I'm Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, and I am here with an awesome person, person today, Nicholas Chalin. Say hi to everyone, Nicholas. Hey, how are you? Great. And so I invited Nicholas on for a couple different reasons. One, he is the chief software officer. He'll he'll describe his background, has an amazing, amazing background. But we, he and I uh, connected a couple years ago um, and he, he has like grown through the ranks very quickly. Um, we, I made a post a few weeks ago and Nicholas commented on it, and it had to do with degrees versus skills and a new executive order. So I wanted to bring Nicholas on to share from a leadership perspective what he's been doing, and um, we'll jump into conversation around the executive order. So Nicholas, can you share with us your background and what you've been up to for the past couple of years? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can tell with my French accent that I was not born in the U.S. and I, I moved here 10 years ago. Um, you know, I created my company back in France. I was 15 and I, I founded 12 companies. So uh, I'm an entrepreneur. You know, I'm a cyber guy. I'm a software guy. Love to create uh, innovation in software. You know, I, I think we built uh, about 187 products uh, over over 20 years. So pretty exciting stuff, you know, in cyber and touch tables and a bunch of cool uh AI, machine learning, deep learning, and and uh, virtual reality technology. Um, so always, you know, looking at, at cool stuff and trying to uh, to bring it to life and and to to scale. What's been interesting for me when I moved to the U.S. is, uh, you know, the the pace, of course, of the the market is is very different. Um, and, and then, you know, I after starting my Eleven's company, I wanted to make a difference and uh, wanted to. Uh, uh, bring a little bit more value uh, to the world. And so we, uh, I started at DHS first, um, a chief architect and uh, special advisor for, for cyber. Uh, and then I moved to, uh, to OSD uh, in the DoD to be able to uh, help with DevSecOps. Uh, and then, you know, based on the success we had, we needed to find a home for the DevSecOps initiative. And they moved me to a new office that they created. I'm, I'm the first in the government of fully... Uh, the first of many, we'll see, but uh, uh, we created the chief software office and uh, I'm the, the chief software officer, obviously. And uh, that's kind of a new role, trying to bring the gap, bridge the gap between uh, all the moving parts between cloud and uh, DevSecOps and being agile and bring enterprise services to our team so they can build software faster, better and keep up uh, with the pace of relevance. What a fascinating role. So I, I want to go back, though. I want to go back to 15-year-old Nicholas or pre-15-year-old Nicholas who got to sell his I'm first old now. company. <laughs> 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 who got to sell his first company at 15. Take me back yeah, there. Yeah, I, I created it. I created it at 15. That's I didn't sell it at 15. Oh, yeah. okay. You created it at 15. Yeah, yeah. So talk, to <laughs> yeah. talk to us about that. Like, how did you, what made you do it? What kind of company was it? Walk us through, you know, what you did then. Yeah, I started coding at you know at seven and loved love creating stuff. You know, it's always pretty exciting when you can just uh, go on the computer and, and build stuff that didn't exist before. It's always pretty exciting. And you know, I, I joined the PHP team. You know, the programming language, so I was part of that as well. And so we had so much demand for uh, services around hosting. And at the time, you know, there was no cloud, no no easy way to get uh, 
mutualized hosting in France. So I, I created a hosting company and then a service company to help organizations build websites, you know, tons of uh, uh, IP that we build for e-commerce. You know, we brought uh, a lot of the encryption stuff at the time, SSL from the US to Europe to, to some banks. And then we, uh, we created all the e-commerce uh, capability to help, you know, uh, anybody get access to, uh, uh, to an e-commerce uh, capability. And so that was my first company was around, you know, services and uh, being able to streamline access to hosting and e-commerce and um, kind of custom development services. So, Nicholas, what, how, how did you, and the reason why I asked this is because people, one of the comments I remember when you, you posted on LinkedIn um, about skills versus degrees that we'll get into in a little bit, but someone said, everyone's not a genius and it made mm. me laugh because you, know, <laughs> you sold so many companies. What kind of background, like what were you doing? Were your parents entrepreneurs? What made you at 15 years old say, you know, when entrepreneurship, I don't, I don't know if it was cool at the time, but saying, you know, this is what I want to do or this is what I'm just going to move forward and do and sell as a, as a Yeah, team. no, my, yeah, my parents have nothing to do with IT. You know, my mom uh, was a nurse and my dad uh, was a journalist uh, and so really uh, no, no particular technical skill. Um, and, and so I had to learn, you know, with books. And it's interesting because all the books were in English. I didn't speak English, you know, at seven or whatever. Uh, and of course, in France, we don't do a very good job at uh, teaching English, as you can tell. And so um, I had to learn and read the books. And, you know, uh, and then, you know, I think uh, I always love to create stuff and um, get, get, get my hands dirty, as, as they say. Uh, what, what, what was kind of the trigger is also um, um, trying to see people's reaction when they start using something you built. You know, that's pretty cool. And when I started deploying stuff, you know, I did my first game. I was 12, uh, and, and I sold that to make enough money to be able to create my company at, at 15. And so I used the proceeds of the game that I created uh, to be able to create a company. And uh, I guess, you know, uh, then, uh, you know, didn't go to school after that, you know, uh, finished high school, but uh, never, uh, I've never been to college or anything like that. But I think the world is changing so fast and so rapidly, right, that in IT, at least, maybe not for other jobs, but at least for IT-related jobs, uh, continuous learning is going to be critical. Uh, and honestly, I don't think it has anything to do with being a genius. It's just about learning how to learn, not, be, not being dependent on someone to teach you things, but be able to go and check YouTube videos and all the content we have now, which honestly, when I studied, did not exist, right? It's so easy now to learn anything. I mean, you want to learn the woodworking, you want to learn, you know, any any kind of uh, thing on, on YouTube, you can go and, and find dozens of videos, some better than others. But, you know, what's also interesting now is you have companies providing tons of these uh, capabilities at very low cost. Um, and so that streamlines access to the training and the continuous learning piece is, you know, becoming a must. You, you, you're going to get behind in IT if you can't uh, learn by yourself because the, the, the pace went from 20 years uh, cycles to 10 to 5 and now 2. And the tech we use, for example, at the Air Force is about 2 years old. And so train the trainer and going to school is just not an option. So people have to really get used to uh, this con concept of spending an hour a day is what I recommend minimum. Uh, for continuous learning, watching different things. And it doesn't have to be, you know, always the same subject, but uh, uh, getting your brain used to learning and, and watching things. You know, I'm lucky. I, I guess my brain is a little bit uh, weird because I can watch videos at, uh, 
you know, 1.75 speed and stuff like that. So I can watch almost twice the content speed and learn more faster. So I guess, yes, sure. There's always um, unfair, you know, advantages with people. But uh, the fact is anyone can do it a- anyway. Yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, you talked you for a minute. I don't know what I am what so happened. sorry. I don't know what happened. My internet completely went down. Yikes. Yeah, that happens to me all the time. <laughs> that's the beauty of everyone being remote, you know, so. That's the beauty of being remote. Goodness. Well, I'm glad you're still here. Um, I'm here. So you're here. So wanted to jump back into, we were talking about you continuous learning and how everyone needs to learn how to learn. And it's so important because like I said, I was, I was, um, I was reading this book by Brian, Brian Tracy, and he talked about reading or studying your craft for 60 minutes every day and how at the end of those 60, if you're doing that for 60 minutes a day, um, at the end of a year, you functionally, because you read approximately 52 books a year, um, functionally, you have a PhD in your, you know, that's, that's one year, that's 52 books. <laughs> so it's a functional right, right. kind of um, doctorate in your field. And mm-hmm. to your point with, with, uh, with technology the way it is and how fast it moves and being able to learn how to learn, I think that is so critical and so important for people to understand really being able to learn how to learn um, and how important that is. Absolutely, so, absolutely. So what would you, so, so um, a couple of things, and somebody had made a comment that I wanted to post, but um, I try to read all the comments that pop up. Um, you, you, when you came here, I remember talking to you a couple of years ago um, and you had moved into, you were looking, like you said, you were looking into to give back and do something, um, and move into like uh, the, the the federal government and really give back after all that you had done after you know going through selling all those companies. Um, talk to me about when you when you got into the government and you started moving up because this this particular series is focused on leadership. So really trying to pinpoint you know what leaders and you I mean you had already been a leader by selling and and, and producing all these different companies but really growing into the roles and and getting to a point where you get to jump into a role that's not even, it wasn't even there before. It's a brand new role. Talk to us, tell us about that path of getting up to to where you were from when you started in the, was it the DOD? Was that the first role in the Mm -hmm. the US? Okay. Well, DHS first and then the the DOD. Yep. Yep. Well, you know, I think I, obviously I was lucky because I didn't start really from the bottom up, right? Uh, I wasn't, I was never, I guess, uh, uh, you know, all the way at the bottom. But uh, still, it took some time for me to get used to the way the government works, right? Uh, understanding really the way the system behaves, you know, all the difference between civilians, uh, you know, um, contractor, military, and SESs and all these uh, different terms, that was very confusing to me. They drop you in and the job and, you know, no background, no training. Good luck with that one. Uh, that was obviously a little bit uh, uh, the culture, you know, between the time it took to do simple acquisition um, contracts all the way to uh, uh, defining, you know, uh, the way you, you define success, for example, um, in terms of fast-paced, agile uh, mindset. I, I still struggle, you know, many organizations still use water agile fall uh, when it comes to uh, doing things. And that gets us so far behind the commercial side. It, it's just mind boggling, right? 
Um, so I guess, you know, for, for me, I, obviously my, my experience and my background um, had me recognized as a HQE, you know, a highly qualified expert. Um, so I'm in a, an SES equivalent, which was really helpful to, uh, to get things done. And, uh, you know, the, the important piece for me was the reporting structure and having, having uh, uh, Dr. Roper as, as my boss and before that, Ms. Lord, who is the Undersecretary for Acquisition and Sustainment. That was very helpful because people would obviously pay attention. Uh, it's very important in the government, uh, more, more so than other organizations. But uh, you know, the CSO job is, is interesting because it's uh, on the commercial side, it's, it would very much be part of the CIO's office. But for me, I report to the, on the acquisition side, which is great because we get access to the money and the funding. Um, I guess what I could have done better is um, spending more time understanding uh, who is doing what and, and how the organizations are, are segmented. And unfortunately, particularly in DOD and DHS, you have massive silos, very, very, uh, an insane amount of, of uh, silos of people doing different pieces of the puzzle, but people have a tough time putting it back together and, and then it just doesn't work, right? And so what I've done as a CSO is really streamline that and, and provide uh, kind of that turnkey access to uh, enterprise services. And, and that's been uh, the reason why, I guess, by by tackling big problems, you know, I, I focus first on DevSecOps, on the weapon stuff. I could have gone the easy way and picked the business stuff, but I wanted to uh, provide meaningful uh, return on investment to the world fighter. And so when we had that kind of success, um, it was very difficult for anyone to fight fight it from growing and, and scaling. And so by leading with success, um, I guess that's this is really how you get things done. Yeah. Wow. So you took the biggest impact role or the biggest impact that you could make, made it. And when that success story happened, no one, you know, did, no one can fight that. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, we... We, we didn't go the easy way. You know, uh, we put uh, Kubernetes and containers on F-16 jets on legacy hardware in 45 days just to demonstrate that it could be done on weapons. It could be done, um, you know, without having to cheat the system and replace the hardware. That was obviously uh, very impactful when people saw, you know, hey, we're running Java, Python, Go, microservices and Kubernetes and, and service mesh on a 20 years old hardware uh, bringing more uh, more resiliency and high ability, that was game changing for for the people in the government. They understood. Wait a minute, we have something here that could really make a big difference. That's fascinating because people talk about how slowly the government moves, and and even you said when you got in, you know, just seeing how quickly how how different it was and how slowly it was, and then you were able to make this impact and and turn this thing and and put something out there in forty five days, which is like a blip yeah. when it yeah. comes to Yeah, and that. you know, I think the, the key for me has been, I've been here two years now, um, but all my MVPs, the minimum viable product are maximum 60, 90 days. That's a mandate for my team. We never do something that's longer than that uh, because we need to keep this incremental small delivery of capability and we need to uh, move at the pace of relevance and, and demonstrate that it doesn't take forever. Uh, and crawl, walk, run is kind of the key concept. You don't but uh, good money after bad money, you don't, you know, do half big stuff, but you still uh, deliver value to the end user in production, not just in the lab. And every, so every project that you work on is a 90 day project. 
more or less. Yeah, maximum, maximum. That's maximum. maximum. Yeah. Wow, wow. We have a couple comments. Um, Leslie Porter, her comment was up here before my um, internet went down, but she said, I believe learning done at one's own pace is retained and appreciated much more. I know I learn more when I do my own research. So that was when you talked about YouTube, when you talked about um, you know learning how to learn. And I think people need to realize how they learn best. Like for me, I learn by actually touching the thing, doing whatever it is that right. needs to be done versus the mm -hmm. reading or watching a video, whereas I believe some mm -hmm. you know, other people learn, learn in different ways. Um, yeah, and that's why I guess we we, uh, we brought a learning platform that's and that's critical, right? I think uh, we brought commercial content from unbiased company that are not trying to push one product versus the other. So we partnered with Linux Foundation, Cloud Native Computing Foundation, and uh, O'Reilly, uh, the books, the IT books. And that covers everything from data science to you know software to DevSecOps to whatever. Uh, but that comes also with a, a cloud sandbox, so you can put it to practice and not learn in a vacuum. So we always do both, right? So these videos that you're watching, small incremental videos, and then you get to do it, and you go back to the video, right? So it's kind of a, a two-paced uh, concept where you get your hands dirty, and, and that's how you, you should really learn, for sure. Right, right, for sure. So a couple of comments here again. Um, Bruce says, hooking security into the business makes both teams winners. Um, so how quickly you were able to do that, that is, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no wonder that they cre you created a role for yourself in that space. Yeah, but that's also, you know, I think the removing the barriers and shifting people left, right? So um, both testing, nuclear surety, our worldliness for us, uh, cyber, all these um, uh, tests that used to be done after development are now embedded into uh, the DevSecOps process multiple times a day, multiple times a week. So it's, it's not just an afterthought a year later, right, or two years later or whatever. Uh, so it's more incremental changes, making it easier to assess and test and have the people embedded into the teams to write the tests, um, see the results of the scan continuously and automate the process with the DevSecOps pipeline that's been a prime enabler of, of moving fast. Yeah. My co-host, who's typically here, but couldn't be here, he, he uh, Chris, do you know Chris? Hold on. He I don't put, he think so. Question. He has a mask on the picture, so it's tough for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he says, how do you feel that the military is evolving to DevOps when it comes to evolving in security? When it comes to evolving security. Yeah, so we we call it we call it uh, DevSecOps in in DoD, and and so I'm the lead of DevSecOps for all of DoD with DoD CIO. So that's the second role I have on top of the Chief Software Officer for the Air Force. Uh, I oversee all of DevSecOps for DoD, and and so we brought a lot of the key principles uh, for baked in security, behavior detection, zero trust, uh, fully baked in into the DevSecOps pipeline. So it's not an afterthought. Um, I obviously feel pretty good that we moved from DevOps to DevSecOps and really having that baked in um, security uh, as that's been a journey. You know, I think people think of security as, hey, we're going to do some static dynamic analysis. That is not uh, how we see DevSecOps. The SEC for us is continuous monitoring and behavior detection and uh, zero trust enforcement. Um, and we, we brought a stack, you know, fully open source and, and everything we do, we give it back to the community. I managed to convince everyone that the entire stack for the, for DOD, for DevSecOps, uh, will be op is open source. So anyone can go and see the source code and, um, see what we're using in terms of containers and, and everything is on the, the repo called repo one. We, we, um, that's the name of, of the repo and we have 
everything available to, to the world, not, not just uh, the contractors, but also other agencies are using it. We have 12 agencies already uh, using some of our, our DevSecOps stacks as well. Wow. So 12 agencies are using it. Before you got there, remind me again, Nicholas, was there DevSecOps in any of the agencies? No. So you <laughs> implemented DevSecOps into the into these agencies. That is I fantastic. Think so, yeah. uh, John Montgomery says, "How do you arrive at the ninety-day time frame for projects?" It's all about cutting, right? So um, you know what you have to define is what's meaningful enough to make a difference and what's doable in six. Ideally, sixty days. Ninety is kind of my max, so I usually aim for for sixty and. Uh, and so, you know, I've, I've done so many projects, you know, I, like I said, 200 plus pretty complex, large 1,500, you know, projects. And so um, I'm used to managing projects and understanding uh, uh, T-shirt sizing of, of, you know, capabilities. And first you, you really try to see, okay, what's doable? And then you come to a, to a more precise estimate. But the, the, the key again is to make sure that uh, you cut it right. If, if you cut it right, there is no reason you cannot deliver something in one day, five days, 10 days, right? But of course it has to be meaningful enough to make a, a difference and do something interesting to show. If we can put Kubernetes and containers on the jet in 45 days, I'm pretty sure we can do pretty much anything in 60. Right, so it's all these little mini sprints um, that you're you're working on. Right, so yep. Chad Eccles, he had sent a, a, he made a comment prior to us going down and he said, what sites, podcasts, and channels do you frequent to stay current on tech? Yeah, um, I mostly watch the CNCF, uh, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation uh, YouTube channel. Uh, there's a lot of content with the Linux Foundation there uh, on, on DevSecOps, innovation and stuff like that. And then of course, you know, I have a massive, I guess, uh, uh, number of uh, People connected to me on LinkedIn uh, that gives me access to about two million people, um, and so that is also what I follow. You know, I have uh, trends. Uh, you know, I have um, uh, hashtags, and uh, stuff pops up, and you know, I always get uh, uh, to see what's going on. And then, you know, I have so many engagements with the commercial side. You know, I managed to bring about eighty companies that never did business with DoD uh, to the DoD uh, by partnering and making it easier for the companies to uh, get their software uh, accredited, uh, DOD-wide, we created this container uh, accreditation concept for, for the companies to work with DOD. And, and so I get to see all the innovations coming in from the startups and the, the cool uh, new companies, but also we have massive engagements with the larger organizations like the Microsoft, Amazon, and you know Red Hat, VMware, and, and so on. So that, that gave me a pretty good understanding of the landscape. And then I have uh, engagements with the CTOs and CIOs of those big companies to see what they're working on and what's coming in the next uh, uh, year or two. And we actually uh, have a pretty deep technology exchange now with different organizations like Citibank and Amadeus and you know d different companies uh, all over the world to see what they're thinking about when it comes to DevSecOps, innovation, and uh, how to make that widely accessible within the organization. So they always give me... a. A good, uh, good understanding as what to focus on for the next year. I never do five, ten years planning, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is your plan? So, a couple of things that came from that. What hashtags do you follow? I'm so curious. Which hashtags do you have, or which ones do you follow? 
Yeah, it's pretty broad uh, hashtags. I mean, I, I think I have DevSecOps, DevOps, you know, Kubernetes, uh, Service Mesh, Istio. Um, I have uh, some data science stuff like Kubeflow, um, PyTorch. Uh, um, I have uh, uh, TensorFlow. I, mean, I don't know. I have, I have probably 100, you know, but um, so much stuff pops up. You know, I, I think the the stuff I really pay attention to are the deep dives on the CNCF uh uh channel there's a lot of content it's it's slowed down a little bit because of the virus but they usually have a ton of very interesting and that's usually the stuff that's coming for the next two years you know see uh savvy smash is two years old maybe three now i don't know but uh, it's still pretty new to most people but that's the foundation of everything we do at uh, the air force Uh, and so that came you know from the cncf as well right cncf Okay, so Chris is back. He wants to know, do you feel that the defense industrial base is evolving its security posture in line with the needs of the DOD? And do you think that CMMC will help make a positive impact? Um, hmm. So I think it's it's improving with the DIB. You know, we're giving access to Platform 1, which is a DevSecOps stack for the Air Force and all of DOD, which was accredited and authorized by DOD CIO to be used as a managed service for all of DOD. And so Platform One is providing access to the DIB so they can do their work within the Platform One environment across classification levels. And so that gives us access, that gives the DIB access to an already accredited and secure uh, development, test, staging, and production environment. And so that's been a prime enabler for the 80 companies I mentioned to get their uh, software accredited and in use in DoD with contract vehicles and all the stuff they need to do, which usually takes, you know, eight months to 12 months, maybe a year and a half sometimes, down to maybe four weeks. And so um, we enable all these companies to increase their cyber posture while getting business with DoD and getting accredited. So we have engagement also with the big primes on Platform One. All, all of the big primes are involved on Platform One, getting access to the DevSecOps stack. So I think it's improving. It's still very much pockets and too small to be significant enough, but it's getting there. We're mandating a lot of um, big programs like GBSD, F35, and, and and Aegis and others to fully embrace DevSecOps. So that's happening right now. Uh, the, the second piece of the question, CMMC, I think it's a great idea, um, but I, I'm, not, I'm not fully uh, aligned with the vision. One is uh, the fact that they don't use and this 853 overlays to accredit will just create a lot of headaches for companies. They're going to have to get their audits done uh, many different ways. If they want to do FedRAMP, they're going to have to go do uh, uh, NIST 853, and then they're going to have to do uh, NIST 8171 and 172, and a new custom control for CFC, which I really despise. I don't think the DOD should be in the business of creating uh, controls. We, we should be uh, using NIST to do any any of that and uh that that alone is a massive fail um and and the second piece i think is is going to create also a lot of a lot of headaches when it comes to companies that will do the assessments uh there's going to be legal battles there if you lose a bid or if you can't bid because some auditor told you you're not secure and you don't agree and and there's going to be a lot of liability and i just don't think it's going to work out um i think it's 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 obviously something we have to fix. You know, the fact that self-assessment is obviously not going to work. That doesn't make any sense. So the fact that we had that in the past makes makes no sense. We need trusted uh, assessors. But I, I you know, I, I 
I'm very concerned that we will just trust companies to come and do that without really understanding conflict of interest or, or whether they really can do that kind of uh, work at scale. And that's just going to reduce the dip. That's going to reduce the options. It's going to make it harder for companies to do business. Some on dating CMMC levels to even have in a world, which makes no sense. Uh, we should give a year to companies to get there so we don't reduce. You know, I'm very concerned with... Uh, the fact that the companies are merging and we have less and less options, less competition, less access to new startups, new people that can do new cool stuff. And so mm -hmm. that's creating really this bubble, this, this DOD bubble. Um, and that just makes no sense. It's just going to get us, get, get us more behind and uh, with less options, less quality. Um, if you compare, look at SpaceX, right? Uh, look at the, the pace at which they build software with 200 people compared to, you know, we have, 4,000 plus just for 35 and they have 200 for all of SpaceX, 11 vehicles, right? How right. do we learn from that? How do we do better? How do we, you know, move at that kind of pace, right? That And, and adding barriers to entry just for cyber reasons is actually creating more risk because now you have to, um, you have less options and you can move fast and, and timeliness in cyber is as important as security, right? And so uh, being able to react and patch and, fix things fast is even more important sometimes than doing proper scanning and stuff like that, right? Because zero days, you're not going to find it, you know, the new important stuff is usually pretty well hidden and not something that's low hanging fruit anymore for, for the kind of stuff we do at least. Uh, and so that's, that's just not going to be very helpful um, in the short term. Yeah. Nicholas, every time you, every time I talk to you, I don't talk to you very often, but when I do, I feel like it's an encyclopedia. <laughs> I just learned so much. Um, Thank you. Here, another great informational session. Um, so I think like many of us, hit, like, like Bruce, so excited to have you. Um, one of the questions and some of, you know, some of the things that you were talking about just now, it sounds like there's just, you, the, the way your brain works, it's like so many more projects coming, like taking the, for what you just described, taking the, um, taking SpaceX's uh, wins and seeing how that could be, how, how you can, you know, utilize that and kind of bring that into the space as well. Um, sure. And it looks like that's like continuous, continuous for you. Um, so when you, if, when people are looking for, when you look to hire leaders underneath you, what do you look for? Because that's really what this is about in security. Which so we talk to people about being continuous learners, learning quickly, moving, you know, moving quickly, being able to learn things um, and deploy things relatively quickly. What do you look for when you when you're bringing in a leader? I think it's all about people that can think outside the box. You know, I I, I really want to make sure we don't just keep doing the same thing because that's what we've been doing for many years. Most of the time, that's really the wrong thing to do. You know, when you look at Tesla or SpaceX, right, um, who would have bet on, you know, a car that can be powered with uh, electricity that can drive for uh, hundreds of miles, uh, the self-driving component of uh, uh, updates, you know, that can happen over the air. Uh, where you get a, a new improved car every two weeks, right? Where all the other car brands actually lose value and have no improvement in capability whatsoever. Uh, you know, my Tesla, I guess, got new features every two weeks. And since I bought it, I, it only got better. You can't really say that about many other uh, cars. And same concept for SpaceX, right? Oh, we're going to land back a rocket and, and reuse it. 
you know, those are bold statements, right? Pretty uh, incredible uh, ways of thinking outside the box, but those are the ones that end up uh, making it. And then it's a volume game, and of course, not everyone is going to be able to get there. But at least being okay, disrupting and changing the status quo and thinking outside the box is probably the number one piece. And often, unfortunately, you know, I get it. People don't have the ability to take that kind of risk because they want their job, they want a you know their career. You know, for me, I you know I made enough money. I don't need to work anymore. That's great. I can go ahead and break the walls. You know, so they use me as a as a way to get in, right? But uh, <laughs> I know not everyone is going to be able to do that. I get that. But uh, there is different levels, right? I guess you could still um, do enough to change people's mindset and change the culture. So pretty much change if you're if you're set if you're if you haven't done what Nicholas has done in his career. But being as, oh, John puts it up here perfectly, not afraid to fail and to learn. And that's really, yeah. that's really kind of the takeaway, like doing your job, understanding it well, and then being able to make changes um, or, or think when, when you do it to a point where you, you know it so well that you can make those changes, you can think outside the box, you can think about how things can be done differently um, and bring those types of ideas to the table. And those are the types of leaders that you look for. Yeah, and my, my saying is fell fast, but don't fell twice for the same reason. So I guess uh, you learn. Uh, that's Wait, big no-no for me. Uh, fell fast, but don't fail twice for the same reason. Fail fast, but don't fail twice for the same reason. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, you you know, if, because if you don't learn, though, right, you can't just fail fast, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, there's uh, no point in failing uh, for the heck of failing. I mean, I'm all about failing, but I don't like to do it too often. Uh, at least not with a learning, right? If you learn, you just remove, you know, it's like uh, that famous saying, I think Tesla said that, but you, you didn't fail a thousand times, you just found a thousand times, uh, so it's a thousand ways that didn't work out, right? So in effect, you reduce the options to uh, a, a higher likelihood of finding the right fit to right. make whatever it is you're trying to do happen, right? Yep, absolutely, absolutely. So Nicholas, I really appreciate your time. We're almost, we're coming up on 38 minutes. Um, so I want to be very cognizant of you doing all that awesome work at uh, the U.S. Sure. Air Force. Thank you so much for being here. You have to come back. I'm like mesmerized all the things that you were talking <laughs> about. And um, we look forward to connecting and interacting on LinkedIn. And, um, you know, folks, this is Nicholas. You know where to find him. Yes, Thank and you. for people that that want to find, um, I guess, our website, uh, software.af.mail website. We have all the content training videos curated. Uh, so we don't select videos and, and uh, we have a bunch of content to this code. And, and so go on the software.af.mail website. You're going to find all that open to the world. Software.ai.mail. AF, Air Force, software.af.mail. Yep, Air Force, AF. AF.mail, okay. Yeah. Excellent. I put it in the chat and I will put it in the chat over here too so they can find you. Um, awesome. And I look forward to connecting again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Nicholas. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye.